0: السلام عليكم ورحمة الله. الحمد لله. الحمد لله الذي هدا وصلات وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفاه، خصوصاً على سيد الرسل وقاتم الأنبياء وعلى آله وصحبه الذين اشتباه. أما بعد. فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم. <inaudible> Dear brothers and respected sisters, first of all, I want to thank Darussalam, its administration, all of its volunteers for everything they've done to set this up, for inviting me. And I ask and make dua to Allah that Allah SWT makes this program a success in every manner, that Allah SWT accepts it, that those who have, are speaking, those who are attending, those who are volunteering, those who are helping in any way, that Allah SWT accepts accepts it from them. And when we hear the topic of, you know, because the full title of the topic is the marketplace of Medina, and it's the economic system of Islam. So when you think of the economic system of Islam, a question arises, which is, why do we need an Islamic economic system? What is wrong with the current economic system, for example, that we're living under, that we have here in America? It seems to be functioning fine for us, isn't it? That is the current system that we're living under, is it not okay? Well, let me ask you, is it okay that the student debt crisis in this country exceeds 1.4 trillion dollars. Trillion dollars. And it impacts 44 million people in this country. That's one in six adults. And it grows $3,000 every second. Every second. Is it okay that 70% of college seniors at non for profit schools graduate with a debt? And that number is at 90% for students pursuing two-year degrees at for-profit colleges. Is it okay that we have a government that is in a $29 trillion debt, national debt? $29 29 trillion dollars. Imagine that number. 29 trillion. And it grows forty-five thousand dollars every second. In the time it took me to just tell you the statistic, it already went up a million dollars. Is it okay? Well, someone may say, Well, well, let's just what about if we take the current system? And let's just remove the the, you know riba out of it. So we won't engage in interest. We won't engage in riba. Then what about the system outside of the riba part? Is it not okay? Is it not? Is that not okay? Well, is it okay that the top one percent of Americans hold thirty-two percent of the total U.S. net worth, and the next nine percent hold another? 38% of the U.S. net wealth, meaning that the top 10% of Americans hold 70% of the U.S. net wealth. And the bottom 50% combined hold 2% of the U.S. net wealth. Is it okay that the top 1% of US households have 15 times more wealth than the bottom 50% combined. Is it okay that 95% of the economic recovery that happened since 2009 after the Great Recession, that 95% of that economic recovery was benefited by just the top 1% of Americans. Is it okay? No. It's not okay. It's not okay. The current system, the current economic system, is not okay. There has to be, there must be a better economic system. And there is. That is the Islamic economic system. we need we know that we need an islamic economic system as part of our deen. as part of a civilization naturally people have a need to interact there's going to be naturally codependencies people will need to interact with one another and our deen is not just about certain acts of you know worship like salah and saum and zakat and hajj necessarily Islam doesn't just address certain ritual acts only; rather, it is a complete system of faith, and by by necessity, that it must have a system for our economics as well. That Islam is not doesn't divorce the two and say that it only will deal with the worship acts of worship, and then all the financial matters are outside the scope of the faith. This is what the the people of shu'ib alayhi right, this is what they said they said that ya ma ya'budu innaka that they say oh shu'ib part of what they said was does your religion tell tell you what we should do in our wealth that why is religion talking about what we should be doing in our wealth they they separated the two concepts but our Dean doesn't separate the two concepts their thought was your acts of worship is one thing but then when it comes to our wealth that's our wealth they thought that was their wealth and they can do with it as they wish the religion should not have a part in it even though their even though their their method of getting wealth was corrupt it was deceptive it was wrong but they felt that no the religion shouldn't have anything to do with that we have to understand what is our Islamic economic system so that we can appreciate the, the beauty, the justice, the thoroughness of the Sharia. And so that we can implement its principles in our lives regardless of whatever system we may live under. This topic of the Islamic you know, economic system or the economic system of Islam, it's quite vast. Right? You can approach it from multiple different angles. The way I will address it is first, I'll talk about how Islam encourages financial prosperity. And then second, how the Islamic economic system facilitates that prosperity. But it does that while requiring justice at the individual level and also at the communal level as well, for the individuals and for the entire community at both levels. And when we, see, when we go through that, what you will see are certain recurring principles of the economic system. Like it must, for example, like it must work for everyone. That you will see that it creates a balance between capital and labor. You will see that it destroys all causes of exploitation and, and deception. It prevents concentration of wealth. And it provides a financial safety net for the community as well. Okay. So we start first by looking in the Quran and looking at what Allah SWT mentions about the resources that are available to us. Allah SWT mentions that Huwa lakum ma fil ardi jami'a. That it is Allah who has created everything in the earth for you. And Allah mentions the resources that we have in the heavens, on the earth, in the in the seas, all of these resources Allah created, and He created for us. And it is the fadl, the bounty of Allah subhanahu These resources are the fadl of Allah subhanahu He created them for us, and it is for us to use and benefit as long as they don't. Conflict and contradict any dini obligations that we have, and we look at the, the verse in Surah Al-Jumu'ah to understand that principle. Allah S.W.T. mentions there that Ya yuhalladhi na إِذَا idha لِصَّلَاةِ مِنْ min yomil jumuati إِلَىٰ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ وَذُرُوا الْبَيْعِ ثالكum خير لكم إن كنتم تعلمون. That oh you who believe, when you are called for the for the salat of Jumu'ah, when you are called for Jumu'ah. Then leave your transactions, leave your economic activities, and go to the dhikr of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. That's better for you, if you know. Then Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala mentions that فَإِذَا قُضِيَتِ الصَّلاةُ فَانْتَشِرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَابْتَعُو مِنْ فَضْلِ اللَّهِ وَذْكُرُوا اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ That now, when the pr- when the prayer is finished, then go out into the lands, right? Go and seek the bounty of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. The وَابْتَعُو مِنْ فَضْلِ الله. Seek from the Fadl of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. That if you're fulfilling your religious obligations and it, as long as it doesn't conflict with your religious obligation, then go and seek from the fadl of Allah SWT. If you're seeking financial prosperity, what are you seeking? You're seeking nothing other than what Allah SWT created for you and is the bounty of Allah SWT for you to take. So if you're seeking that prosperity, you're seeking nothing except the bounty of Allah SWT. It's the fadl of Allah SWT that you're seeking. Okay? And while there is a welfare support system in Islam we'll talk about that in a bit but it doesn't encourage people to rely on that welfare system Islam encourages people the economic system of Islam encourages people to create independence for themselves to have their own financial standing okay? to have financial stability okay? the Prophet also mentioned, mentioned the hadith in Sahih Bukhari that مَا أَكَلَ أَحَدٌ طَعَامًا قَطُّ مِنْ أَنْ يَأْكُلَ مِنْ Okay. That no one has eaten anything better. Okay. No one has eaten anything better except that the fruit it's the fruit of his own labor. Okay. That the best the best wealth that you have is the one that comes out from your own efforts. Okay. And the Prophet mentioned that even the, the Nabi of Allah, Dawuda, that's what he used to do as well. And it wasn't just Dawud The other prophets. We know that the other imams, the other scholars in the past, they did that. That you know, when, when the, the muhajirun, when they made hijrah, right, when the Muslims made hijrah from Makkah to Medina, we know that these people, the Muslims, the Sahaba, عنهم, they may have had a lot of wealth in Makkah, but when they left and they made the migration to Medina, they essentially went with what was on their backs. All that wealth that they had, they left behind. And they went to, when they went to Medina, they went with nothing. They went with nothing. Sahaba who were well off in Mecca, they made the migration to Medina, and they didn't have anything. The Prophet ﷺ then, he made this pact of mu'akhat, this pact of brotherhood, pairing up the muhajirun, those who migrated from Mecca, with some of the ansar, the people of Medina, and he made pacts between them. And it wasn't just a, in, in complete just generality, the Prophet was very thorough and, and actually you know, very specific and deliberate in how he did that. And we know that um, you know, one of the people who had the mu'akhat, one of the muhajirun was Abdul Rahman ibn Awf, radiallahu anhu, who had a lot of wealth in Mecca, but when he went to Medina, he didn't have anything. So the, the Ansar, what they would do with the, with the Muhajirin is they would offer half of their wealth, say, okay, you came with nothing, half our wealth is for you. And when that was offered to Abdul Rahman ibn Awf, he didn't accept that. He said, no, just tell me where's the market. And he, would, he went and he did his own business, the market, and then he rebuilt his wealth in that manner. Islam encourages, the Prophet encouraged, that a person should earn from his own. That even if a person can't survive, you know, because the unemployment benefits are, you know, are sufficient for him, and the, you know, the SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or other government handouts and government assistance may suffice for that person's needs, If a person is in need and they take it, okay. But we don't rely on that. That's not our approach, right? We want to become independent of that. We want to have our own financial standing. Islam encourages you to do that, have your own financial standing. It encourages encourages prosperity. And its financial framework facilitates that prosperity. For example, in a society where you have people who have wealth, they have the capital, but they don't have the skill set necessarily or or the time or the the interest to to take that and to run a business, start a business or such, operate a business. And then you have other people within the community who don't have the finances, they don't have the capital needed to to start and run a business, but they have the skill set for it. In a capitalist society, what happens is then, the people who have the capital will then give an interest-bearing loan to those who are in need of it, and now they just enjoy the risk-free, guaranteed returns of interest, irrespective of what happens with that business. That's how the capital society works. But the Islamic economic system doesn't support that. Rather, what it does has different models, like for example, the model of mudaraba, which is a type of a business model, where one party now contributes the capital, another party contributes their skill set, and they're partners in the business. So if there's a profit, then there's profit sharing from that. There's no guaranteed returns for for someone. There's no taking advantage of the people who don't have the the wealth, right? It's bringing them up. It's pairing the capital and the labor together to ensure that both prosper economically. The the Islamic economic system is set up to, to allow for that individual prosperity but at the same time, unlike pure capitalism, right, it's not purely profit-driven either. Okay. Rather, there is a system of ethics and justice and fairness within that that ensures the individual's well-being. Okay. You Where know, in a capitalist society, each person in a transaction is worried about maximizing their own profit, within the Islamic economic system, a person is engaged while they're transacting in innama al-mu'minuna that the believers are brothers and they're sisters. Okay. There's between them. So you're not trying to take advantage of the other person. Okay. That you want to make sure that you are cognizant that the person you're dealing with is your own brother, is your own sister in Iman. There's a connection between you. Okay. You're not just trying to maximize the profit. Okay. You're concerned with the other party as well. Not concerned just for yourself, concerned for both parties in the transaction. The Islamic economic system provides an asset and services-backed economy. Okay. It prohibits the aspect of profiting via risk-free uh, returns on the basis of simply advancing money. We know Allah SWT has mentioned in the Qur'an the, the prohibition of riba, that la riba wa That Allah prohibited and said do not consume riba and fear Allah so that you may you, that Allah, that you may be shown mercy that that you may that you may be successful. La'allakum okay. إلَّا That otherwise there is no success. That what تَقُونَ الَّتِي عُرِدَتِ الْكَافِرِينَ, وَاتَّقِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ عَلَىٰكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ. That stay away from the so that you can be successful. Okay. So that you can be you can be saved from that fire of hell. So that you can be obedient to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So you can be obedient to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So that you may be shown mercy that any type of injustice that is between two parties, the economic system of Islam prohibits that. Even if the two parties want to enter into a type of a transaction, a type of a dealing in which there's injustice, even if they both agree to it, the economic system prevents that from happening. That's why ribawi transactions, interest-bearing transactions, even if both parties agree to it, the economic system will still prevent that. Will still prevent that. Because we know that Allah mentions that <speaking in the language> <speaking in the language> Allah, Allah mentions riba, says that leave it, otherwise you will have the declaration of war from Allah and His Messenger. And that if you want to just keep the capital and leave off the interest, then good. You will neither oppress nor you will you be oppressed. Right? That, there, that riba is, an, is a form of oppression, and the economic system prevents any oppression from any other parties. Okay. The, the, the system, the way it's set up, it sets up a healthy market that removes ambiguity and ensures that it does not lead to any discord between the parties. That there is full transparency in the transaction, and there's, it does not lead to any discord or dispute between the parties. Okay. Because remember, you're working with the, the mindset that the believers are like brothers, so you don't want anything that jeopardizes that. The the free market that the economic system creates, it allows for pricing to be set organically. That whatever the two parties want to to set the price at for that transaction, it's a free market. You can set the pricing as you wish. The government doesn't necessarily impose uh, pricing. It allows for the free market, based off of supply and demand, whatever the pricing the parties want to set, then that's fine, they can set that pricing. But it forbids market manipulation. The Prophet mentioned walat and you know, without going into the details, it essentially says you know, do not do not uh, manipulate the market, do not create false demands and, and false inflation of prices. Okay. That you know in a within an auction environment on an eBay or whatever, that you know you say okay, listen, I'm going to uh, I'm going to put this thing up for auction. I want you to bid on it, Be- although you don't want it, no, no problem. Just bid on it so that the next person can bid higher. Right, so that we can create demand and raise the prices. Right? That, you're, that you're a store owner, you have a bazaar, and you would tell people that, listen, just pass by my bazaar and then compliment the goods that I have, and you know, comment on how there are really good prices that other people can be attracted to it. Okay? That sort of manipulation and deception, Islam, the Islamic economic system forbids that. Okay? And the Prophet in the hadith mentions then, wa kunu ikhwana, When he says that, you know, he forbids the market manipulation, he says that be the servants of Allah s. as brothers because all of that goes against the brotherhood when you deceive somebody okay? any other type of deception is forbidden within that system and the parties are not fo- are not forced to simply profit in a transaction rather they have to be mindful of the ukhrawi impact of their transactions okay? Allah subhanahu mentioned in the Quran that waylulil mutaffifin allatheena idh takaluu ala al naasi yastawfoon wa idh kaaluuhum awazanuhum yukhsiroon ala yadhunnu ulaaika ba'uthuna li yawmin 'atheem Right? That these people that they that they cheat in their transactions, that do they not realize that they're going to be resurrected in front of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala on a great day? That your transactions you have to be mindful both of ukhwa, that you are concerned about the other party, that you want their welfare, and you have to be concerned about your own welfare for the akhirah as well. It's not just a dunya matter; it's an ukhra matter. Your transactions are not just a dunya we matter; they're an ukhra matter as well. Hence, it gives both parties numerous potential contractual rights, some that you can set, some that are just default in a transaction. That for somebody who doesn't know know, what is a better product, there's allowance that you can agree that I'm going to buy one of these two items and then I will make my selection by tomorrow. So that you can get those items now, but you have some time to ponder over it. Or that you, A person you know who may have a buyer's remorse that that person may have this right this this right that you can have a return policy in your transactions or that somebody who's inexperienced in transactions and their fear that maybe they may end up overpaying in the transaction they can have a condition that says that you know if if you're going to make me pay above market price or that if I'm going to be deceived in this transaction then I'll have the right to cancel the transaction or somebody who buys something without seeing it, you buy it online, maybe saw some pictures, but it's not the same as when you get it in person, by default, you have a right that if the product comes and it doesn't look like how it was advertised, by default, the economic system allows you, you can go return it. The other party can't deny it. They say, we, no, we don't have a return policy. By default, it's built within the transaction that you have a right to return. That if you are unaware, a person's unaware of how to assess a product and see whether it's a good product, whether it's healthy, in its, in its nature, whether it doesn't have any defects or such a person's unaware, and they end up buying something, and then they realize later on that this product has a defect in it. It's built into the transaction that you can return that product on the basis of it, there being a defect within it. It doesn't have to be covered by any manufacturer's warranty. It doesn't have to be covered by any return policy or such. That, that right is built into the system itself. It's, been, it's built into the transaction that if somebody were to sell you something and say, listen, I'm only charging you know, X dollars markup on this product, and then later on you realize that that person was untrue, right, lied, it's a softer way to say untrue, right, they're, they're false in, in what they claimed, then by default you have a right to recourse in that transaction, right? These things are built, they're baked into the, into the system itself to prevent deception, to prevent anyone from being cheated so that all the transactions can be in a free and fair market. But although there is a free and fair market, the Muslim government still has certain responsibilities to ensure that there is truly justice within that market. The Muslim government has an obligation to ensure the well-being of the individuals under its jurisdiction, that it will step in Indiv- although it's a free market, and it should be as people decide, but the economic system is that it does allow for the authorities to step in where needed. The Prophet also mentioned, it's also in Sahih Bukhari, that kullukum ra'in wa kullukum an ra'in wa an okay? that every one of you, you, me, everyone sitting here, that we, you, we are like shepherds, we have certain responsibility toward our flock. And for some people, That's your family, your children, or your extended family, your students, your community. Depending on who you are, you have certain responsibilities of those that are kind of under your jurisdiction of whose responsibility you have. And the Prophet mentioned that the Imam, meaning the the Muslim leader, the government, has responsibilities over its subject. That has to ensure and take care of them. Hence, it can force people to make certain sales or prevent people from certain purchases if it violates the communal well being. Okay. Anas, radiallahu, Anas radiallahu narrates that the Prophet mentioned or he forbidden that Naha Rasulullah and an hadrun li badin wa inkan okay. akahu li abihi wa ummihi. comes in Bukhari and Muslim both. And the Prophet forbade certain type of transactions. Okay. Where, for example, if somebody, you know, a, a, a villager, somebody from the outside was going to come into the city and then somebody from the city goes out and he says, No, you cannot, you know, don't go into the city and make your sale. Let me just buy your goods and I'll take him into the city. The Prophet forbade that. And the ulama mentioned several reasons for that. That one, it could take an unfair advantage of somebody who doesn't otherwise know, right? Somebody who's coming into the, into the city doesn't know what the market prices are. Somebody may go out and then buy from him cheap, and that person may get deceived. Or that this person may buy from, from you know become essentially sole distributor of all these goods, go into the market, and now he has the ability to charge higher for prices for them or that he may now purchase these goods and not sell them, just hoard them until you create this demand and the shortage and the increasing in prices, and now you sell it at above, otherwise what would normally be a market price. Okay. That there's all this opportunity that, or all this, all this risk, rather, that it gets created from these type of transactions. The Prophet forbade that transaction because it said, because you don't want to create a system that allows for that cheating. We won't say in this case, that what's well, two people's transaction in a free and fair market, let the two people interact as they wish. Now, in this case, when there's communal harm, then the economic system ensures that there's, that there's safety and there's justice for the entire community. Okay? That if somebody you know, in, 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 in a pandemic, in, in COVID, right? Somebody goes across states, and we, we saw stories like these, right? Somebody drives across states and buys all the toilet paper, it creates a shortage and like hoards all the toilet paper. Yeah, the government can step in and say this, and you're going to have to sell that. You're going to have to sell it at the normal market value. Okay? The, the government has certain, certain um, rights to, to go on and inject itself into an otherwise free and fair society, or free, free and fair market rather. Right? Price gouging, monopolies, exploitative contracts, these are all impermissible, and it's the government's responsibility that will step in to prevent that. Okay. Um, it can override certain transactions it can make people fix prices in the in the time of shortage right fixing the prices on essential needs on 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 certain food supplies and such in the in the time of a shortage the government can interject itself in, into that into that market okay? and even in the capital society that we live in okay? even in the capital society that we live in you acknowledge that that has to happen right the pure capitalist society that you know runs on a on a What's called like the, the laissez-faire system, like you know, let the market be. You, know, you don't you don't intervene into the market. That everything will naturally and normally work out based off of supply and demand. Right? That pure theory doesn't work. Doesn't work. Even here, it doesn't work. Even though we, you know we say we're in a capitalist society here, it doesn't work. How many times have you read the news about the about the Department of Justice stepping in and preventing certain acquisitions and preventing certain mergers and so on? It has to step in. That System just practically does not work right? So you're going to have to modify it One of the the responsibilities of The Muslim government within that economic system is to prevent and as we saw in the beginning of the, of the talk is to prevent The concentration of wealth within just a few individuals within just a few households right? that one percent right to that one percent issue if you will Allah s.w.t. mentions in the Qur'an that Allah talks about a certain type of wealth and he talks about how it must be distributed amongst these different recipients so that it does not get concentrated amongst just the few rich amongst you the economic system is set up to prevent the concentration of wealth within just a few individuals hence it prevents monopolies, it prevents these exploitative contracts, it prevents this financial enslavement of people through compound interest, and rather it, it ensures that there's a, it, it's facilitating a free and fair and just market, and, and a just economy, okay, that the wealth does not get concentrated between just a few people. And what it also does, it ensures that there's a safety net, that despite providing that free and fair and just market for, you know, for everyone, should something happen, and should there be people who are in financial distress, that there should be a safety net for them. Okay? And it has a Mal, it has a public treasury, if you will, right, that gets its revenues and it has revenue streams from zakat, from certain type of land tax, right, the usher and the kharaj, if you know what those are, um, asset acquisitions from enemy lands, you have Fay and Humus, and there's different revenue streams that a, a Muslim uh, government, right, the Mal, the public treasury has, that it then uses in specific ways to help the Muslim community, to to help ensure that no specific, um, you know, no individual and no no cause, no event puts anyone in dif- financial difficult uh, situation. Right? It can subsidize certain parts of the economy, like for example, you have healthcare. Okay? That can subsidize. It can help for some of that. Okay? In the U.S. right now, in this country, there is about there's. 140, 140 billion dollars in unpaid medical bills. 140 billion dollars in unpaid medical bills. What do you think is happening with the, with the people who have all these medical bills? And when they get when they get passed on to debt collectors and who then start charging interest on it, what do you think is happening to all those people? How do you think those people rise up in the economy then? In summary, we see that the Islamic economic system allows for that free market, but ensures that the economy runs on ethical and just principles. And these just principles need to be applied at the individual level, and the government has a responsibility to also ensure that those are being applied, or it, it, it has the responsibility to step in. So, you know, I'll conclude by saying that you know, we said Islam encourages and it facilitates financial prosperity and people are not driven purely based off of profit, right? they keep certain principles in mind, they keep the principle of the Muslim Brotherhood, right? that the goal is to prosper with the other party, not at the advantage of the other party. The goal is to rise up the economic ladder with that person, not by climbing on top of that person. Okay? That, we, that the transactions are based on ensuring that there's accountability in the hereafter. ثُمَّ يَوْمَ إِذِنَ but on that day, you're going to be asked about the favors of Allah SWT on you. You have to answer for this. It comes to Sahih Bukhari, the prophet mentioned that no man will be able to move from his place unless he answers five questions on the Day of Judgment. Okay? How did he spend his life? What pursuits did he spend his youthful energy in? How did he earn his wealth? Where did he spend his wealth? And did he act on the knowledge that Allah SWT gave him? Right? That your wealth are among the questions that you're going to be asked on the Day of Judgment that no one can move until you answer those questions. And the... Islamic economic system operates within certain principles while with that in mind, that it should work for every individual, man or woman, experience or inexperience, the urbanite, the village, or anyone, and it should create a balance between capital and labor, that it should destroy all these causes of exploitation, of deception, of corruption, and it should prevent the concentration of wealth amongst just a few, and it should provide a financial safety net. And if you look at the verse from Surah Qasas, we understand a summary. Allah Simhata mentions that, tansa dunya, wa ahsin kama ahsan alayka, fi inna Allah, la okay? Allah Simhata, three three main points if you want to take from here. Okay? Allah Simhata mentions that, fima Allah. Okay? That seek from that which Allah has given you. Okay? That realize that everything that we have, whatever resources we have, Allah has created, and it's Allah who gave them to us. Right? That these are Allah's fadl that, he's been, that He has given us. And then, ma فِي ad okay, Seek through that, Adarul akhirah The next abode. That ensure that what, with whatever resources we are given, that the ultimate purpose of the hereafter and the accountability of the hereafter must always remain in mind. And ahsin kama al-Fasada fil ard That do good like Allah SWT has good has done good to you, and do not transgress on the earth. Okay? Meaning benefit from that wealth. But it must be acquired in a just manner, and it must be spent in a just manner. Okay? Now, regardless of the, the economic system that we live in, we should strive to apply these principles of the economic system, whatever is within our capability. Because we know that you know, there's a principle of يُدْرَكُ كله, كُلُّهُ Whatever you cannot apply in its entirety, you don't believe in its entirety as either. There are certain principles that we are able to apply within our transactions, and you know, especially this aspect of being mindful of the Akhirah and making sure that we are benefiting both parties, not just ourselves and the other party as well. And that you know, with some of these other principles that, that we've spoken about, if we, we should try to move forward with those in mind, and we ask Allah for, for tawfiq, and we ask Allah SWT for barakah in our wealth, and that we're able to answer properly for that wealth on, on the day of judgment as well wa akhru da'wana alhamdulillah rabbil alamin